Greetings and welcome to our Pulse and Foursquare podcast. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins, and I greatly appreciate you have joined us today. Throughout this year of 2022, God has led me to emphasize unity among the Church of Jesus Christ. As written in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, the Apostle Paul wrote to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, especially in these last days in which we live, I believe God is calling His church and His bride to come together as one in Christ. And in doing so, it really displays the beauty of what we are all to be and how His church and His kingdom will grow and reach our world today. So as we go through the Word together, I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to you through these messages and give you wisdom and revelation as to how we are called to be His unified church and then sent out to be witnesses of His Word, His love, and His presence. I pray that you will be blessed by our podcast and that you will be edified and enriched in God's Word today. So may God bless you all. Good morning. Um, I do bring greetings from Greg. Um, he has he's in Washington. He'll be coming back the day before Thanksgiving. Um, he wants, well, we both would like to express our gratitude and thankfulness for the prayers and the love and the support that we've been shown in the passing of his brother this last week. Um, so we thank you for that. And as Dr. Dan mentioned, Thanksgiving itself is coming up. And so I am one of those who has an open house, so if you do need a place to go for Thanksgiving, you are more than welcome to come to our house. Please see me and don't, don't feel like you're intruding, okay? <laughs> That's for sure. So with that, did you know that Butterball Turkey has a turkey helpline? Yes. 91% of Americans have turkey for dinner, and some of them have problems. <laughs> So here are a few of the problems that the helpline has encountered. A woman in her 70s, cooking Thanksgiving dinner for the first time, called for help because her mother said it was time for her to learn how to prepare the Thanksgiving turkey. How to cook a turkey. She's in her 70s. Um, A proud gentleman called to tell the staff how he wrapped the turkey in a towel, he laid it on the floor, and he stomped on it breaking the bones so that it would fit in his pan. Um, Let's see, another gentleman called to say that he had cut his turkey in half with a chainsaw, but he was wondering if the oil from the chainsaw might adversely affect the turkey. (laughs) Right. Um, A disappointed woman called wondering why her turkey had no breast, only to discover that it was upside down. Okay. Okay. And and I'll just do one more. I have many more. But uh, let's see. After discovering a turkey from 1969 in his dad's freezer, a man called in to ask what the best way to cook a 30-plus-year-old turkey was. Gross. (laughs) Okay. On that, let me pray, and then I'll start. Oh, Father God, I thank you for this opportunity this morning to, um, to share with my family. And I ask God that... You would speak through me, Holy Spirit, you would speak through me that hearts would be opened and um, that each person here would receive what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In 1972, there was an Amish man, Jonas Yoder, in Wisconsin who did not want his children to go to school after the eighth grade because he felt like that it would expose his children to worldly things that could affect their salvation or be a threat to it. 
Well, Wisconsin law required that children must attend until the age of 16, and he refused to comply after threat of jail or even losing his children because of his religious conviction. The county brought a case against him, which he lost, and he was told to comply. After refusing to comply and compromising his beliefs, it then went to the state Supreme Court where they ruled in his favor, the county appealed, and the case went to the US Supreme Court where they upheld the state Supreme Court's ruling that the First Amendment protected his religious belief and he was not required to send his children to the public school. The court used a three-part test to determine if the state had violated the Exercising Freedom Clause. The first part of that test asks the question, are the religious beliefs sincere? They recognize that every religious belief is one of two types. It's either a preference or a conviction. So let's turn to Daniel 3. I apologize, we've had a lot of um, internet issues this morning. The fog is not kind to us. Um, I was going to have the scriptures up there for you. I will have the notes, though. Um, so I will use this Bible, and if you want to turn to Daniel chapter 3. So Pastor Greg started Daniel two weeks ago, and what we've learned so far is that King Nebuchadnezzar swept into Palestine, surrounded Jerusalem, raided the temple, took back articles from the temple to his god in Babylon, as well as King Jehoiakim and many others captive, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, we learned that those four men resisted temptation and resolved not to eat the royal food. God gave them favor. King Nebuchadnezzar actually put them on his staff. Then... The king had a dream about a statue that no one could interpret. God gave Daniel the interpretation. Daniel interpreted it. And the king declared that Daniel's God was the God of gods. And he made Daniel ruler over the entire province of Babylon and made Shadrach, Reshach, and <laughs> Meshach, and Abednego Daniel's administrators. Okay, I got to tell you, when I was preparing this, I, Austin or whoever's doing the notes back there are probably laughing because I have Shadrach and Benny written in my notes, if you've ever watched VeggieTales, that's, and Neb, because it's way too much to say and it's way too much to write. But anyway, I won't use those names, but that's what's in my notes. It just, I just saw that. So anyway, okay, let's look at Daniel chapter three, and we'll start in verse one, and we'll read the first um, six verses. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth, breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. <laughs> and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. 
Did you get that he set it up? <laughs> it said it repeatedly. Um, so apparently, just a few verses before, Nebuchadnezzar had declared Daniel's God was the God of all gods, and his devotion to Daniel's God was pretty short-lived. Um, he clearly did not fear God or obey the God who had given him the dream. In fact, it seems he felt the need to make that dream a reality by making not only a statue, but making it 100% gold instead of the four or five different um, things it was made of in his dream. So he would be worshipped and his kingdom would last forever. Verse 7 says, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold. When the Yoder case went to the U.S. Supreme Court, the court was then tasked with defining the difference between a preference and a conviction. In a nutshell, the court states that, stated that a belief is a conviction that is held with such intensity that one gives their whole life, their resources, and their energy to it. But if that belief can be changed, swayed, or influenced, then it is actually a preference because true conviction cannot be changed. The court looks at five areas that would make a belief a preference instead of a conviction. Peer pressure, people pressure, lawsuit pressure, jail pressure, and death pressure. When you state what you believe and that you believe that what you believe is right, the court looks to see if you will allow the pressure of others to bend or to change your belief. Or if you will avoid taking a stand because you might be sued, put in jail, or put to death. If so, then the belief, by the court's definition, is only a preference, and preferences are not protected by the First Amendment. Okay, let's go back to verse, I'm starting verse 7 through 12. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared, O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, O oh, King, live forever. You, O oh, King, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. All the peoples fell down and worshipped. One of the things I wondered when I was reading this um, initially was, where's Daniel? He's not mentioned at all in this chapter. Um, it's been suggested maybe he was off on official business for the king. Um, I think it's safe to say that if Daniel had been there, 
that he also would not have bowed, since later we will read that he's thrown into a lion's den for his conviction. Um, but I think maybe my bigger question in that just those few verses is where were all the other Hebrews? Because the four were not the only that were taken captive. Um, I mean, we don't know. Maybe, maybe others did refuse to bow, and just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were kind of being used as an example, um, you know, being singled out. Or perhaps it was the threat of death that was enough to make them fall down and worship the golden idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have used several excuses to bow that we will look at in a few minutes, but at first I want to ask why they didn't bow. They represented the God of Israel, and they stood, literally, on their conviction to worship no other gods. Number one in your notes is, standing for our convictions reveals our character. There are some questions that I want, um, they're in your note sheets and I'm going to put them up and I just want you to think about them as I'm sharing this morning. Um, the first one is, what are my convictions? The second one, do I allow others to sway or influence my beliefs? And then the third one is, what will I stand for when all others are bowing? So a conviction is something that you purpose in your heart. It's like the fabric of your belief system, something that will not change due to any circumstance. A conviction says that when you believe God has said something, you will stand on it regardless of what is thrown at you. So the Supreme Court used five things to determine what conviction is. A conviction must be a predetermined personal belief that you choose. It is non-negotiable. It is not contingent on a victory. It must be consistent with a person's lifestyle and consistent to itself. Okay, let's go back to verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain... Oh, we already read that. Well, <laughs> I thought I had that. Okay, did I go through 12? Okay, so I guess we already read that. So um, we know that the, they were just told, or the king was told that they were not going to bow and worship. So we learned last week that Daniel had asked King Nebuchadnezzar if he would appoint his friends as administrators over Babylon. The Babylonians could change their names, but they couldn't change their hearts. They would remain loyal to the God of Israel no matter what. They had already determined, so they had predetermined in their hearts what they would do. It was non-negotiable for them. And it was not contingent on victory, even if it meant death by fire. You've all probably heard someone say that going through the fire brings out what's inside of you, your character, what you're made of. That could not have been more literal for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be, be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, 
Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the lyre, the pipe, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every other kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So King Nebuchadnezzar expected absolute obedience, regardless if his demands were unjust, and his pride caused him to rage if anyone would dare disobey him. But for whatever reason, and maybe it was to save his ego because he, after all, was the one who had appointed them as administrators, he gave them one more chance to obey him or to face death immediately, likely expecting that they would cower and obey. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have looked at that as being given a second chance by God. Now I know some of you might be thinking, but wait, isn't God the God of second chances? He is. Absolutely, 100%. But when God gives us second chances, it is always to draw us back to him, to reconcile us to him, and it will bring glory to him. For them to see this as a second chance, they would have had to make excuses to compromise their beliefs. Just think of all the excuses they could have made. We'll bow, and then we'll tell God we didn't really mean it, as if God doesn't already know. Um, We'll bow, but not actually worship. We'll worship just this one time and ask for forgiveness. Anyone ever done that? The king appointed us, so we owe it to him. Maybe God will excuse us for following the customs of the land. We're not hurting anybody. If we get killed, who's going to help our people? Maybe some of these excuses even sound sensible at first. After all, their lives were on the line. How many times have we made excuses to justify the choices that we make? especially in areas that might seem gray. Well, I'm not actually worshiping the idol. Or this one, a lot of people my age especially will remember, I didn't inhale. Uh, I don't pay attention to the lyrics, I just like the music. I looked away, I closed my eyes. It's just the culture, everybody's doing it. It's not hurting anyone. You've probably all heard, so forgive me, but the illustration of the kid who wanted to go see the movie that his parents did not want him to see, or they didn't approve of it anyway, and he begs him, he's like, please, it's really not that bad. It's okay. It's just a little language. It's just a little nudity. It's just a little violence, just a little sex. So they consented and they said, okay, you can go see this movie. But first, we made your favorite brownies and added a favorite ingredient, or a a special ingredient to it, or secret ingredient. We want you to have some brownies before you go to the movie. He says, okay. So he takes a bite of the brownie, and he can't tell. It tastes the same. He doesn't know what the secret ingredient is. So he asks them, well, what's the secret ingredient? Poop. But it's really not that bad. 
It's okay. It's just a little poop. Exodus 23 says, you shall have no other gods before me, period. King Nebuchadnezzar probably couldn't believe that they wouldn't obey him, so he asked them, is it true that you did not worship the idol that I commanded you to? This was probably the greater test um, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because it's one thing to stand for God and say, this is what I believe. But it's an even greater thing to stick to it when you're called on it and asked if you really mean it, especially if you are seemingly given a way out of a certain consequence. Falling down and worshiping that idol would have not only violated God's command, but it would have erased their testimony for God forever, destroyed their character, and they would have had no credibility to talk about the power of their God above all other gods. In the end, compromise always leads to death. I don't know about you, and maybe it's because I'm 54 years old, but I don't want to destroy my testimony, and I want to be a woman of character and conviction, but I am not gonna lie. It's not easy, it's hard. We live in a culture that has so desensitized us that we don't often even realize what we're watching or what we're listening to. And for those of us who are over 50, what is normal primetime television right now would never have even been allowed on TV when we were younger. And it probably would have gotten a rated R rating in a theater. Um, I remember seven years ago, Kyle had gone to Cowboys with a Mission, and they had gone to Mongolia. He called me from the airport when they were coming home. Um, they had, he'd been there for two, two and a half months, so no connection with the world whatsoever. Um, the first thing he wanted to know was why there were rainbows and Skittles all over everyone's Facebook posts. You can put that one together seven years ago. Um, but re- what really struck me was he told me how he... Once, when they were coming home, because they'd been so far removed from just everything, um, how he'd been really looking forward to watching a movie on the plane that he, a movie that he had been looking forward to, and he was looking forward to having the chance to do that, but that how shocking and uncomfortable it was to watch. He had been removed from culture, media, and Hollywood for only two and a half months. And in just that short amount of time, his mind had been purged of so much of the yuck and the sin that we have all become so desensitized to that his spirit and his mind were offended at what he'd seen and heard. While the Hebrew boys could have compromised their beliefs and taken that second chance, their loyalty to God was not dependent on their deliverance. They were determined to serve him for nothing in return. They would obey God at all costs and chose it as an opportunity to glorify him regardless of what the outcome would be. So number two is standing on our convictions glorifies God. Let's pick it up in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love this. Um, They believe that God would rescue them, but they didn't try to control God's decision either. They allowed him to do the choosing. They knew he could deliver him through it, or he might not, but they allowed God to do that. Even if he does not. Regardless of what God chose, though, they were still not going to bow. What a great example of true faith when the heat gets turned up. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says that everything is permissible for us, but not everything is beneficial. And there are things that, while permissible, are not appropriate because they can control our lives and lead us away from God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been immersed and indoctrinated in Babylonian culture and training, and they could have used any of those excuses I listed above. But they knew what their convictions were. And while seemingly small, and to some even justifiable compromise might have allowed them to live, they were wise enough to see that one compromise, one excuse, leads to another, eventually leading to death, just like a frog. You know, if you put a frog in a pot of hot water, it will jump out to escape. But if you put it in cold water and slowly turn the heat up, a compromise here, an excuse there, It becomes comfortable in its surroundings, and it slowly boils to death. When we stand for what we believe in, it glorifies God. And if you are in doubt about something that might seem gray, or you just aren't sure, some questions you can ask yourself are, is this the best thing for me? Does it help me as a Christian? Am I having any doubts about doing it? Is it controlling me? Does it come between me and God? Will it cause my brother to stumble or others from coming to Christ? Will doing it hurt my testimony? And this one, I think, is the one for me that's the most impactful. Can I do it and bring glory to God? On April 20th, 1999, 12 students and one teacher were killed at Columbine High School, just outside of Denver, Colorado. Among those students was 17-year-old Cassie Bernal. Several reports suggest that one of the shooters asked her if she believed in God, and when she said yes, he immediately shot and killed her to death for her faith. Cassie's decision to stand for Jesus, like the three Hebrew boys of Daniel, was not a spur-of-the-moment decision with no chance to think through what the consequences might be. This was a decision she had already settled in her heart long before. In the book, She Said Yes, The Unlikely Martyrdom of Cassie Bernal, it shares a letter she had written to a friend less than a year before her death. Cassie wrote this, when God doesn't want me to do something, I definitely know it. When he wants me to do something, Even if it means going outside of my comfort zone, I know that too. I feel pushed in the direction I need to go, 
I try to stand up for my faith at school. It can be discouraging, but it can also be rewarding. I will die for my God. I will die for my faith. It's the least I can do for Christ dying for me. Cassie's conviction revealed her character and it glorified God. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other, their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had already predetermined in their hearts to be faithful to their God, regardless of the consequences. And that really ticked off the king. <laughs> he was furious. He was so furious that his rage also killed his own men. A good reminder that our actions affect other people, positively or negatively. Did you notice it said that the expression of his face changed? Another version says that his face became distorted with rage. He would not be challenged in front of everybody. He ordered the fire seven times hotter, which is basically as hot as it could possibly be. Um, have you ever been to a, a really hot bonfire where like you stand five feet away and your face still feels like it's melting? So imagine much hotter than that. Um, he was so angry that he also didn't wait for them to be stripped of their clothes, which would have customarily been done to for there to be more further humiliation of those being executed. Instead, in his rage, he insisted that they be bound immediately in their clothes and thrown in. And also, this is not just a small oven for cooking or for heating something. It is like an industrial, think of like an industrial furnace um, that they would maybe smelt metals in or something like that. And it had flames shooting out of the top of it. Hopefully, we have not been on the other side of that kind of rage, but we have probably experienced an attitude or a face change in someone when we've done something that they didn't like or that they were offended by. How do we respond when we have clearly offended or ticked off someone? The Bible doesn't tell us how they responded when the king ordered them to be tied up, and it doesn't say that they begged for mercy. It doesn't say that they fought back. Uh, but I wonder if it might have been something similar to Stephen in Acts 7. I'm going to turn to Acts 7, verse 54. Stephen had just got done telling them how stubborn, deaf to the truth they were, and how they had betrayed and murdered the Messiah, which you can only imagine made them really happy. Um, it says, now when they heard these things, this is verse 54, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said that, he fell asleep. Two situations where those involved stood for their convictions. Get back to the um, Both glorified God and both revealed Jesus to those present and really to all of humanity since. Number three on your notes is that standing for our convictions reveals Jesus to others. Okay, picking back up in verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, do we not cast three bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of a fourth is like the son of the gods." Can you imagine, I was trying to think about how he, what it would have been like to sit there and see what he saw. Um, I'm sure he was freaking out because I probably would have been freaking out, like, what in the world? It's like, hey, didn't we tie up three guys and throw them in the fire? Yes, sir. (laughs) Weren't my guys killed throwing them in the fire? Yes, sir. (laughs) Babylon, there seems to be a problem. (laughs) First, the boys didn't die. They're not even tied up. They're walking around like being in a fiery furnace is no big deal. But second, there's a fourth guy in there with them, and he looks like a god. Nebuchadnezzar will later call the fourth man an angel. Some say that he was a pre-incarnate Jesus. Either way, God was with them in the fire. And this gives us hope when we're walking through the fire. And when we walk through trials, God does not abandon us. He frees us. He protects us in the fire. And he will never leave or forsake us, just like we sang this morning, that there's another in the fire standing next to me. He's always with us. Okay, verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies. Their hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. When you're around a bonfire, you really stink, right? (laughs) So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come walking out of a blazing fire like nothing unusual, just another day in Babylon. (laughs) I don't know. Um, It says they didn't smell like smoke and not one of their hairs was singed. I don't know if you've ever smelled 
burnt hair, but the smell is terrible. And I have come to associate that smell with our Christmas Eve service. <laughs> um, inevitably, some little girl gets her hair in the fire, and I think my girls did it every year for, I don't know, years on end. You cannot miss that smell. It's awful. But one of the things I absolutely love about this particular scene, and I don't want you to miss, is that the only thing that was burned up in the furnace were the ropes that tied them. Not only does God protect us, and he's always with us, and he, but he sets us free. They were set free from the very thing that bound them. John 8.36 says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. When we are set free from the things that have held us captive, pick a thing, your past, unforgiveness, habitual sin, worry, temptation, addiction, resentment, poor self-esteem, anger, when we're set free from those, we are free indeed, and others take notice. The other thing to see here is that everyone witnessed it. You could not not see it, okay? Um, you know the saying, action speaks louder than words? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't need to say a thing. <laughs> um, God saved them, and there was not one person who could deny that. Not compromising their beliefs and standing for their convictions caused even the hardest enemies of God to stand in awe of the God of Israel, the one true God. All right, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. So, again, the king is honoring the Hebrew God, but this time he declares it to his officials and his decree <laughs> um, to destroy quite violently <laughs> anyone who speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, regardless of who they were or where they came from. Verse 30 then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So the boys have been promoted again. They went into the fire with one job. They came out with even better jobs. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. Um, they didn't listen to the enemy's lies. They didn't take the easy way out. They didn't grow weary in their trial. They stood for their convictions, which revealed their character. They glorified God in their convictions, and they revealed Jesus in their convictions. When Jonas Yoder lost the first trial, he was still right. When it was overturned at the state and U.S. Supreme Court levels, he found out he had been right all along. A court does not tell us whether we are right or wrong. Just like a king 
or any other government official does not tell us who to worship. We are right as long as we honor the word of God. Jonas knew that, and like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he stood for his beliefs and conviction, and when all the tests of preference and conviction were applied, he passed. The Lord was with Jonas, and he was in the fiery furnace with three Hebrew boys. The God who did not deliver them from the fire was the God who was with them in the fire, and he delivered them out of the fire. We are living right now in some pretty crazy times, but really, I don't see that they're much unlike Daniel and his friends. I want to leave you with this question. Have you predetermined in your heart, like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, like Cassie Bernal, like Jonas Yoder, like Stephen, to not compromise and to stand on your convictions, regardless of the outcome, because you know, you believe, you are convinced that your God is faithful, that he will never leave you, that he is in control, that his word is truth, and he is good, even when we don't understand it. We can count the joy come every battle, because we know that he will be standing next to us in the fire. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your goodness. Father, I thank you for the, the convictions of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the example that they are to each one of us. God, I ask that you would speak to our hearts Today and this week as we think about this message that where are we compromising, where are maybe some of what we thought were our beliefs, are actually preferences, and God, I ask that, that we would come to you and you will meet us there. I thank you, Father, for who you are. I thank you, God, that we have the privilege and the blessing and the honor of being able to worship you, the one true God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. My name is Billy, and I'm the online media director here at Polson Foursquare. I hope that the message was encouraging to you, and if it was, consider subscribing or following us, or even sharing it with a friend. If you're looking for more information, you can find that at PolsonFoursquare.org, or check out our Facebook. With that, I hope that you have a blessed week, and we'll catch you next time.